0: All right then, good evening and thank you all for coming. So I suppose I'll let you know first of all, in fact, I pretty much know everyone here. So I can assure you there's just a few dickheads and that's all. Um, (laughs) That's just you and me, yeah. Yeah, um, first of all, thank you very much to Shifties for having us do this. Tommy Gunn behind the bar cutting your cheese all evening and serving some wine. And Derek as well, thank you. Mark's not here, but I'm sure Mark will come along at some stage. So what are we doing this evening? This is the beginning of a pretty interesting journey for, for everyone here, I hope, as much as you want to be a part of it. It's going to be a place, hopefully, where at least semi-regularly we can bring together people who are interested in... Is that coming through the AMP, Pat, or the... We've got some accompaniments. That's all right. Yeah, I suppose as regularly as possible, I'd like to get together a group of people who are genuinely interested in holding important space for difficult conversations about the nature of reality fundamentally and what the fuck we're all doing, and to hold that space in the right way. Now, I'm not sure what that way is. I know some things about it. I think I know part of. the process required to find that space of connection with yourself and with other people, which is required for the kind of bridge-making about matters of importance that, well, are all too important to discuss. Now, tonight the topic of conversation is finding purpose in modern society. We could have substituted there the word meaning for purpose. Please come come through, it's all good. Um. <laughs> <laughs> We could have substituted the word meaning in there for purpose. I would suppose purpose speaks to a slightly broader, more story-like conception of a certain quality of living. But okay, so this is how we're going to do this. We're going to have about half an hour to 40 minute conversation, then my good friend Patrick Ryan's going to play some music, and then we're going to come back and talk for a little bit more and maybe do a Q&A if people are interested. But uh, first of all, well, you know what? I won't say too much about this wonderful man joining me. He's a good friend of mine and someone I respect an incredible amount. He doesn't know me very well, of course. <laughs> well, well enough to know I respect him. And so, we're going to discuss finding purpose in modern society. And my name is Tim Adlin, and this is the first Voice Club Live. So, thank you all very much for coming out. It means a lot. <laughs>
1: Well, while uh, Tim's doing that, I'd like to say I think I partly agree with the notion that meaning and purpose are very similar or the same, but they're actually also quite different in the sense that our brains are actually constructed to find meaning even if there isn't meaning. So it's forever reinterpreting the the data that we get, reinterpreting the universe in order to make sense of it. And sometimes that sense is quite spurious. Like, a a very clear example is that most of us believe a tree is green, but in fact, a tree absorbs all the white light except green and then throws that off, which hits our eye. And so we think it's green, but it's actually minus green. So purpose for me is something bigger, more encompassing. It's a capital P, and it's all about living a purposeful life. A life full of purpose which has a whole lot of subsets of meaning to it and I reckon purpose has to come down to a sentence of not more than 17 to 25 words maximum when we do that we're on purpose
0: well there you go so something strange about recording conversations is that there is a uh, it's kind of incumbent on you to to continue speaking even when sometimes silence is the right thing. And so, yeah, I'll get my excuses in early for going silent. Can I be silent the whole time? No. We'll see. So all right, here's a quote to begin with, and it's from a man who is nothing short of a genius. His name was Carl Gustav Jung. The story of a life begins somewhere at some particular point, we happen to remember. And even then, it was already highly complex. We do not know how life is going to turn out. Therefore, the story has no beginning, and the end can only be vaguely hinted at. The life of man is a dubious experiment. Now, he wrote this in the preface to his autobiography, and there's something fundamentally right about this, I think. Because if we want to talk about what it is to live a meaningful life, then I think in a certain sense we have to be open to the fact that we cannot entirely know, in the final analysis what we are here to do in any fixed sense or even how it all turns out. Because what we do is embedded in many processes and we interact with other people constantly. And so even after we pass, what we do leaves an echo which affects the story of everyone else. And so it's not clear when a moment would be to look back and go, that's my life, that's who I am. Nevertheless, we need to develop some coherent sense of what we are and what we're doing. And in a very important sense, I think that needs to be understood as something like a story. So Neville, I want to ask you a question that I think is one of the most difficult questions you can ask anyone. And I've sort of just said that there's no possible way you could ever finally answer this. But you are 77 years old now. 77 years young, thank you. Yes, that's right. You always get me on that one. So, what then is the story of your life? Oh my God, come on. we never, Do we really want to go into that one? Hmm. Well, what are you here to do?
1: What am I here to do? Right. Okay. I'm very clear on my current purpose now. But my purpose, and I want to touch on this, I think there are six. This seems to be booming a lot. Can you hear okay? Okay. All right. I'd like to touch on later that that in my experience, and my view, there are basically six purposes that every single one of us live, and that these change roughly every five years, so that every five years, if you like, we have to reinvent our... Our grand purpose and we've got six big ones to choose from and 98% of us choose from those six but these are changed as our life changes but they also change out of a series of events and seven years ago I woke up in the morning I was clear where my life was going what it was doing I had a son who had paranoid schizophrenia And he was really quite literally mad. And a lot of my time and effort was spent uh, caring for him, looking after him. And that morning I woke up and I started to feel enormous pain. I dropped on the floor. My wife rang the ambulance and I was taken into hospital saying that I had uh, appendicitis, which is a bit unusual at 72, 70, sorry, uh, 70. A little while later, I was in a room of four with a lovely morphine drip, which I rather enjoyed, to be honest. Uh, And I'm lying there trying to press the button to get some more, but it had an overload, uh, and I couldn't do it. And a nurse came in looking a bit distressed, and she said, there's some people here to see you, and so we're moving you into a single room. So I walked out with the drip, and these funny pajamas that they put on with no underpants and you feel very sort of a bit wary walking down the main corridor like this a bit loose Pardon? a bit loose a bit loose yeah <laughs> that door hang loose and i walked out and i could see my wife there and her daughter looking very stressed and i saw a policeman so they went into the single room and i looked at him and said anthony the name of my son, and he said yes. I said dead, and he said yes. And I said suicide, and he said yes. And I said fuck, and started to cry quite a lot. So that event where a lot of my life was involved in being a father and looking after him and caring for him caused a significant re evaluation of my life and it caused a change in the purpose that I now live to. That purpose now is that I wish and I am actively every day seeking to directly influence 10,000 people to create and grow a business with soul, to change the world and to have the life and lifestyle that they want. Now, that purpose might sound pretty airy-fairy. But for me, it's the reason, the raison d'etre. I get up every day. It, it motivates, motivates me extraordinarily. It keeps me young and, and makes every bloody thing I do every day meaningful.
0: So, when we talk about business with soul, we use a word there that, for lots of people, the word soul has become detached from a a reality you can really grasp yes right and well i think something we both share is an appreciation for the spirit and in some important sense the recognition that the motivation to do any of that at all comes from a relationship with spirit yes so perhaps you could talk to me a little bit about your own relationship with soul You've you've opened up a Pandora's box there, but um,
1: basically, Carl Gustav Jung fundamentally said there is no difference in a personal sense between soul and spirit. Now, a lot of people do distinguish between that, but he also said that really, and he's quite right, the word for soul in Greek is psyche, and out of psyche we get the words psychology and all the, the, the other words beginning with psych. So... For my convenience, I, I think the notion of psyche, soul and spirit are virtually the same.
0: Yes, I think that's correct.
1: And, and that what, when we're talking about soul, we're talking about the very essence of who we are as a humankind, as, as a being. Yes. And, and one of the most interesting things about human beings is, first of all, we are the only animal on the whole planet that doesn't get up and walk after birth. Every other animal that I can think of sort of is more or less complete to stand alone and exist alone, but humankind isn't, that we are actually born incomplete. And if we look at that, then one of the fundamental purposes of our life and our reason to be a soul and a spirit embodied in a physical body is to make us complete and when we're complete we're ready to go wherever souls and spirits go either into the earth and finish or somewhere else but that's our journey our journey is to
0: complete ourselves yes the movement towards wholeness yes completion right which for jung can be understood through the process of individuation, mm-hmm, yes. which is something like the integration of the unconscious contents into the conscious life, which is to say also into action in the world, and therefore also action within an interconnected network of, well, at least other human beings, but really the whole web of life itself. And perhaps we could extend that even further. So can I, can I just jump
1: in there? Um, Jung Jung was living in an age where each of us to become who we are was a fundamental raison d'etre, a famous, a really special purpose. Yes. And it remains one of the six that I want to keep coming back to, that is to become the best us that we possibly can be. But increasingly, the way the world is, and we are at, I think, one of the most incredible tipping points in human history not just our lives but but human history and there's there's at least 30 tsunamis that are hitting the world at the moment and they are fundamentally changing the way the world is and the way the world will become and the futures that we'll all have so my personal view is that we are at a tipping point where we have to move away from the focus on individuation, still important, to a purpose that is more collaborative, that is more tribal, that is more communicating and working together. And I think that's a fundamental shift in this modern world. So one of the many answers to your question, I think, is how do you find soul, spirit, purpose, and meaning in the modern world? It's through loving, relating, working with others and that's becoming a very big prime purpose of the six
0: yes i mean so i agree with you and i think this is somewhere we've spoken about a little bit before and this will be a consistent area of push and pull because you talk about the collective you have to talk about the individual and to talk about the individual you have to talk about the collective and so but which one like we've come through a process where the individual
1: is the supreme over and above the society over and above community you know go go to just about any american self-help evangelist and it's all about you know finding your goals and striving and being ambitious and whatever but it's all about being you it's really being you in a community in a tribe in a family in a group of people and that that has to change if we're going to save the planet for example
0: well Yes, there's certainly no disagreement from me when it comes to the proper sense of developing yourself as an individual to be a cognizant of your impact and relation with everything else around you. And it should be more understood from the perspective of finding your appropriate niche to give value in that network. What, what sort of character, essentially, are you destined in some sense to become or to unfold yourself into that complements the show in your own unique way. Now, it is still somewhat confusing, though, because I think at least where I come from. Sorry, what's confusing? Well, the following the following thought, because there's a tension there, right? Because, yes, we want to add as much as we can to to everyone around us. And that might mean not placing yourself in the center and recognizing that you just have a part to play. But I think within us all, as part of that essence <clears throat> of spirit and psyche, in some important sense, the whole is contained. Is what? The, the whole is contained within you, right? The same substrate or the same way to be, the same affective life will that permeates everything and enables coherence among things just is- just let me build on
1: that and you're much more of a philosopher than I am I'm an entrepreneur and innovator I like to get down to pretty nutty nitty-gritty things but there's there's a, a, a famous psychology that a psycho psychologist that I find totally and utterly unreadable but he's quoted all the time he's a guy guy named James Hillman and he's written books like how come we've had a hundred years of psychotherapy and we're still not well So he talks about what you're saying there. He uses the word entelechy. And what he says is that just as the entelechy or end purpose of an acorn is an oak tree and that with the acorn, that magnificent huge acorn, uh, 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 oak tree, is already there. And I've already said that the interesting things about us as human beings is that we are born with an enormous intelligence. We are born with enormous talent potential to become magnificent human beings. And our journey is to become that. That's our hero's journey, to become the person we can be. I'm just saying that there is now another purpose that needs to be added to that as well and that is the purpose of being in community and making the world a better place than the world that we inherited and the world that's starting to unravel now. Right? Yes. So our individuation needs to take place within, within an ability and an interest to change the world and make it better. If we don't, we will slowly, as a human individual, die. Not physical death, but spiritual death.
0: Yes, no, I I do agree with you. And we can, I guess, best to move on from this because I can only anticipate if I follow that train. It's just sort of a technical dispute that ultimately leads, leads nowhere. But why don't we then pick back up on... Can you talk me through how it was you were able to pick your gaze back up and set a new purpose for your life after the tragic news You heard that you spoke about the suicide of your son, Anthony. Yes. It took at least a year
1: to rebuild, and there isn't a day gone by that I don't remember my son, and even talking about him now, I'm starting to tear up. So that grieving process, I think, for someone you deeply love, I don't think it ever ends, and why should it? It's like when I divorced my first wife or my only wife, we, we did that in great love. We couldn't hold Anthony's madness as a couple. It was just so bad uh, that it destroyed our relationship. But we parted in great love and we still love each other. So it's like some of the shittiest things in life, like Anthony's death, become a crystal or a magnifying glass for us to really, really examine. What's going on in our life and why are we here and who are we and who do we want to become? And by the way, these questions are the questions of purpose. Who am I? Who do I want to be? What values do I want to express in the world? What what contribution do I make? These sort of philosophical questions are actually the questions of purpose. And the, the death of my son, which was fundamental because like that's that's an unnatural thing like you know it's the natural order is that that you know you have kids and they look after you after you've looked after them and you die and then they die so when they die before you it's like it, it sets up an incredible rift in the universe in your personal cosmos but but what happened was that in many ways I felt at that point I hit rock bottom but the turning point and the answer how did I reconstruct was that when I hit rock bottom and really looked at who I was and experienced that tragedy and took it on board I found it was rock, it wasn't quicksand, it wasn't sand, it wasn't water, I wasn't I wasn't evaporating, I wasn't going away. Do you understand that? It was like I actually found an absolute beautiful, new, fucking painful like you know, that life wasn't all rosy and you know beer and chips. And I had to accept that this thing that I didn't want to have happen and I'm getting really angry about it I didn't want it to happen but it happened and I had to accept that that is one of the bedrocks of building who you are as a human being
0: yes and I think that rock bottom actually is
1: <clears throat> can I have a tissue Has anyone got a tissue please thanks very much T- yeah. sorry about that I'm a bit emotional Sorry, I'm not sorry about that. I'm glad that at 77, I can
0: express my real emotions. Yes, that's right. And you can ask for a tissue too. Here. Oh, there you go, thank you, thank you. So I think that hitting rock bottom there is- And it's rock. Well, it's rock. Yeah, it's rock. As in it's real, as in I think that's a connection with perhaps the source of the most real thing there is, which is the recognition, is sort of the, an, an aff, it's an affectation, and it's, it's a self-affirmation of a will to, to live, of spirit, of soul. I think that's the only thing powerful enough to enable, um, to enable the experience of the worst moment in your life to be in fact, the language wouldn't be, Obviously, it's not the best, but it's there's something beautiful about something real. There's a man who was going to be here today, but he's gallivanting all over Australia, working very hard. His name's Patrick Slater, and I tell this story quite a lot because I think it encapsulates, well, similar themes. And he was hiking in Japan, and Bug is quite a quite a tall man, and so... And he got very, very sick as he was hiking along in the snow. Just imagine some blizzard just high up in Japan and and, and Bug is just sort of hunched along is how I kind of imagine it, you know. And apparently the view from people behind him walking was just the most tragic thing ever. He's almost dying and in this blizzard and it was the worst he'd ever felt in his whole life. Just absolutely terrible. He thought he was going to die and So they continue on, continue on, and eventually they stop, and he has a cup of tea. And I think he said he felt something like 1% better, or maybe not even that. But it was the trajectory from being the absolute worst to just moving off that slightly that all of a sudden became one of the most beautiful moments of his life. Which speaks to the idea that it's ultimately the trajectory, it's the goal setting, it's looking forwards, That is most fundamental. Uh, I think there's something even more fundamental there, and
1: I agree with you. I, I reckon every single day each of us is faced with three choices, and there's, I think, only three. Will I move forward and grow and learn and be a better person and make a better contribution today? Or will I stand still? Or will I go backwards? Now... That's a stupid thing to say, but think of it. I reckon there are three choices, and I reckon we're faced with that every day. Now, as part of this, we're talking about how do we find soul, and as I said, I want to, I want to delay a little bit telling you what the six are, but I've already mentioned a couple. What I know, because I'm an innovator and, and an entrepreneur, I know that there is a absolutely proven way to kickstart finding our purpose or creating our purpose and making sure that we move forward every day and that is as soon as we get up practice the art of gratitude i have this funny thing that when i get up i go to the toilet and as i look down peeing i say thank you for that (laughs) lovely penis that i have and what it can do I am very grateful for being a man and having this lovely appendage. I wish it were bigger, but, you know, I, I, I it love it. it. It still works. It still works. works. Yeah. It still works at 77. Thank you, whoever it is that we thank. And then I look into the toilet bowl and I say, thank you for this wonderful, amazing, gorgeous sewage. You know, because if you've ever been in a country that doesn't have sewage, you have some idea of how wonderful that invention is. And as I get in the shower, I express gratitude for the soap. I express gratitude for my body. I express gratitude for that hot water and for the towels and the smells and the scents. And when I go to the refrigerator, I thank whoever created that refrigerator and I thank for all the food that's there. Now, you might say that's stupid, but just research the power of gratitude on Google and you will be amazed to find that gratitude is what kickstarts innovation, it kickstarts a lot of our happiness, it kickstarts growth, because what it does is it moves us from a position of stuckness or depression or sadness or any other emotion and it moves us into a place of joy and and openness, and you know, embracing the universe, the cosmos, and that's part of what life's about, isn't
0: it? I think, yes, I think so. All right, well, I think now is as good a time as any to break for the first part and commence the intermission. So, thank you all for your attention. <laughs> All right, well thank you everyone for paying such dutiful attention in the first part. I suppose neville has been taking us through his six conceptions of purpose. And we've so far done about three of them. Yeah, sure. okay. So perhaps you can pick us up again with with what those six are and what's relevant to talk to us about now. OK, thanks. Uh, I'd like to start with a little bit of history. I don't know whether what you
1: would want to call that I was taught at school that uh, in the medieval ages, everybody believed that the world was flat and that you couldn't go very far without falling off the edge. Uh, But, you know, interestingly, the Greeks, well before Christ was born, knew that the world was round, they proved it. And um, long before here came here to Australia, or Captain Cook came here to Australia, or Magellan circumnavigated the world. The Chinese actually probably had done it all. There's a fascinating book called 1421, I think. Yes, 1421, that talks about an Admiral Zeng. I don't know, you might be able to pronounce it properly. Z-H-E-N-G, is it? Zeng? All right, whatever he said. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's really interesting. The, the author of this book traced did DNA tracings around the world, including with the Australian Aboriginals, and found that they had Chinese genes. And there were maps that have been discovered that Marco Polo took back to Europe, that the Chinese certainly discovered uh, most of the west coast of Australia and most of the south coast, and probably, probably Tasmanian. So the Chinese were here long before the europeans who of course being so egocentric were the first to discover the world and the first oh, and they went to america as well long before uh, the europeans now what's the point of this story the point is that out of this ignorance in the medieval world these flat maps so called used to have a big landmass down south and it was called anybody know terra australis incognito in Latin, which means the great unknown Southland. So terra australis incognito, out of which came the word Australia. But the the notion was that we had to set off in ships and find this unknown Southland. And I'm telling this story because most of us seem to believe that we need to search for our purpose. But I want to say that there are two purposes that we are given at birth, and for purposes that we need to create. So it's not a matter of the search for meaning, it's a matter of deciding what our meaning is, what our purpose is at any particular time. Now I'd like you to imagine that you've suddenly been transported to one of those great South American countries like Peru or wherever where they have very ancient civilizations and cultures. I'd like you to imagine that you find yourself waking up on a plateau. And when you wake up, you look to the left, and there are two mountains of equal size. When you look to the right, you find that there are four mountains of of equal size. And in your mystical state, because you are in a sense of transcendence or something, you've probably been taking a few chemicals, in this state, an ancient princess appears to you. And quite unusually, she's able to communicate with you by thought transfer. And she knows that what you are seeking for is to clarify your purpose, whatever it might be at this particular point in time. And she points to the two mountains to the left. And she says, first of all, these purposes were given to you at birth. The first one over there." Is the God purpose. Now you can call it many names. Scientists say we actually have a God gene which is a gene that is searching for a higher being and we go right back into all the earliest civilizations and we find that every one of them had a sense of art and a sense of of a world beyond and things were buried with people going right back 10,000 years. So the first Purpose that we are all given is to have some belief in a God or a being or a transcendence. Now, we will translate that in many ways, but this voice tells you that you cannot live a meaningful purpose life unless you have some sense of a life beyond, a life that's different, a life that can be transcendent, a a spirit a being, a god, you call it any damn thing you like, you make it up, but you need to have that as one part of your six purposes. And then this voice says over here is the biological animal purpose that every single animal is going, that is that you are born, it is an expectation that you will find a partner or multiple partners, You will have as much sex as you possibly can manage until you're exhausted, and then you'll do it again. And you will have some children, you will raise those children, and you will create for them a better life than the one you've had yourself. That is an innate biological purpose that we all have, and whether we're gay or transgender or bisexual or whatever the hell we are, unless we somehow work through that notion of family, creating something, having children of some sort, whether that's kids that we mentor. And because both of my kids are adopted, and now I have one only, not two, I work that, that, that through by mentoring and having people that are my children that, that I mentor. And every single one of us has to work that purpose through. It's part of what it means to be human.
0: Right. Okay. So what I'm hearing there is we innately have this connection to some transcendent source. Yes. And then we feel the need to participate in furthering that source by engaging in some kind of co-creative manifestation of that source. So igniting in other people how to properly develop In light of well by the light of that by that first purpose and sorry it's interesting
1: I can't remember any of their names at the moment I've already had a drink but some of the great atheists who spend their whole life proving there is no other transcendental state or being or God or call him she it whatever you like they actually do believe in God they just spend so much because if you if you're absolutely convinced there's no God or no other existence, why the fuck do you keep arguing about it? Just get on with your living. So they're, they're sort of, you know, they're, they're involved in that. So then there's there's four others. And the first one, we've they're on the right side. And these are the Terra Australis incognito. They're there, they're not there to be created because they exist. They are there for us to consciously choose at this time in our life, we will embrace. The first two are givens. The next four are choice. And the first one is, we've touched on another t- first time, the notion of self actualization individuation, becoming the best human being that we are able to be, to grow, expressing gratitude every day, and to keep getting better and different and enlarge and becoming the, expressing our intelligy, expressing the potential that we were born with. The next one is the notion that I don't believe we, God created us. I don't believe there is a God personally, but I believe that we create God in our image. And the most amazing emotion or expression that we've ever been able to come up with is love and so
0: so hang on a second so we came up with
1: love i know love is the most the strongest emotion desire value that we can think of and that's why we have invented and said god is love so we've created god in the best image that we can think of which is love
0: So it seems to me that love has to be connected, though, to that initial source you're referring to. The first one? Yes.
1: It does, but I I guess I've misled us here. What I'm saying is that the next purpose that we need to choose is centered around the notion of love and relationship. Love in all its forms. The Greek, we only use one word for love. The Greeks had three words, agape, phileos, and... and, uh, uh, Agape, Agape. F- uh, divine love, f- brotherly love and sexual love but, but the next purpose that is fundamental to all of us is to love and be loving and without that without that as a core purpose we are not human we're something else we become bestial okay so on this side three purposes the first is to be the best human being we can be to grow. The second one is to love and be loving and to create meaningful, purposeful, wonderful relationships, singular or plural or, you know, being polygamous or whatever we need to be to do that. The third and final one, and this is becoming more important and especially it's becoming important to the millennials, the people who are under 36, and that is the desire to do some good in the world, to leave the world better than we found it, to create something bigger, better, and brighter than us. Now, I say there are six because so far, I've only found five fundamental purposes that everybody lives by. But I've put a six in there because I don't know everything. I'm sure there are some ones in this room that'll say after me, ah, you have forgotten this one. So I'm willing to learn. So six is the terra australis incognito, the one I don't know about, okay? But this is what's important. All of those six mountains are of equal size and are equal value. Right now, your choice is to climb one mountain, being right now the predominant mountain of the six And from that mountain, you are going to embrace the other five. So for me, at the moment, it is to, since my son died, it is to do some good in the world. And from that, I am able to embrace my spiritual purpose, my family purpose, my loving purpose, my personal growth purpose, and whatever else might come along. I hope that makes sense to you, because... We need to create and choose our purpose. It's not out there waiting for us, and we have to search it. Right now, you tonight say, of those six, this is the one that's preeminent, and I will embrace the others from that mountaintop.
0: Well, that was... Um
1: that was a monologue, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry about that.
0: Yeah, that was, no, that was very interesting. I guess... Honestly speaking, for me, those purposes are all linked. And oh, yeah. Yeah. we could, you know, etch them apart in many different ways. So rather than do that exactly, I thought maybe I might ask about some of the foundational transformative experiences in your life that have been very important in building your capacity to relate to the world like this. And we've spoken about one of them, but I know that. In your past, you have had a series of shamanic experiences that were pivotal in finding a new purpose. So, is there a particular initiatory shamanic experience that comes to mind? And we should say also as well, what a shamanic experience I think is, is the intermediation between transpersonal domain of consciousness and ordinary (laughs) conscious states Which is quite a confusing idea because it involves relinquishing a certain way of relating to what you are and demands of you a capacity to navigate your own internal experience using in a way a a different set of tools because it's not so much an intellectual process as it is orienting in experience and again discerning between qualities and it's It's something that's not, it's becoming more common to talk about this stuff, but I think in ordinary life it's something that eludes our comprehension quite easily. And the reason for that is we're all remarkably concerned with the external world and we take a lot of the internal world for granted, which is to say we take (coughs) a lot of the unconscious components of our psyche for granted. Now, commonly people might well, we, we dream most every night, some people remember them, some don't, and what happens in dreams is a projection of the unconscious contents, at least a selection of unconscious contents into, well, consciousness sort of, but it's a different sort of consciousness. The question is, what the hell is going on there, and and how can you draw any meaning from such experiences at all? Now, it's difficult to link the meaning of dreams to where we are without, again, speaking about psychology and the work of Carl Jung and the conception of the archetypes of the collective unconscious, which is something like an innate set of patterns which are also the filtration mechanism for meaning. These are a collection of patterns that are analogous to instincts, analogous to physiological instincts. They are instincts of the psyche, but again, also a filtration mechanism for the mind as it relates to the world. So what we experience is fed through this pattern recognition and it rises up as a sort of spontaneous selection of symbols that array themselves in narrative, something like this. Now, many people here will be familiar with psychedelic experience and some may even have been to far off parts of the world or perhaps closer to home where you can have experiences that are mediated by a guide or perhaps not and they're very, very strange, and they involve, in some sense, the apparition of unconscious contents into the conscious life. Now, the unconscious contents are you, as well as the conscious life is you, and they reflect where Where, you are and what you're doing. where, where Where are we going with it? Where we are going is to ask you about your shamanic experiences, but just to provide, I suppose, a little bit of A background into how to understand what's going on in an experience where well I know for instance that in one of your shamanic experiences you um, encountered a shaman an old wise man right and this was a well perhaps I'll let you tell the story but
1: look you're opening up a real can of worms with the shamanic experience it's weird to most of us it's it's a world that Is similar to the psychedelic world without drugs or can be but I guess and I'm happy to talk about it but I guess I'm a little bit interested whether there's any comments or questions from the group um, sure to say
0: yeah any any time if if someone wants to ask a particular question or felt like there was something that was touched on that we didn't explore that you would like us to explore Mm -hmm. please say so at, at, at any time just let the Silent sit for a few seconds now in case anybody feels like saying something. It looks like Neville's not going to be able to dodge talking about shamanism.
1: Okay, just very briefly the shamans are amazing people that arose in nomadic tribes before the great unilateral God religions of Judaism, Christianity, Islam took over the world. They were tribal chief makers, they were dancers, they were physicians and healers. And I've had many, many experiences as an urban shaman without drugs, by dance, fasting, and certain types of music that change brain patterns. The background is that I was born and bred a evangelical Christian, which was a whole series of don'ts. I was saying to someone, one of them, one of the uh, the messages we used to get is, you must not dance because dancing is a vertical expression of a horizontal intention. And I have since learned that that's absolutely true. So I do as much dancing as I possibly can. <clears throat> but the religion I was raised in was, don't do this, don't do that, you can't. You can't do anything on Sundays other than go to church. You can't dance. You must wear modern clothes. If you have any books in your house to study, you must get rid of them, secular books. You can it was it was a religion of don'ts, 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 don'ts. And and, and I was I was raised with the feeling that my inner life was so dirty and dark and devious and full of demons that you should not go there. But through these experiences of transcendental going down deep inside myself the very first one after going down four layers being led by a very skilled person i found an old man a chinese man with a beard and a stick and he said i'm a shaman and at that point i'd never heard of what the word was
0: and he took off
1: the cloak that he was wearing
0: and you're he referring got- to an internal experience here.
1: And internally yes, total so it's like a dream state uh, uh, an awake mediated meditational state. and how
0: what was the experience of moving into that state
1: well transformative because it was absolutely alien to me to be led into my psyche and as i went down into the layers instead of finding it dark and dirty and devious i found it beautiful i found it was full of colors and totems and power animals and transcendent states and people from history, people who were part of my DNA. And at the bottom, I had an I,
0: ancestral kind of experience.
1: I had a universal, global, cosmic experience as well. Yes. Okay. Yes. I saw stars and moons and planets and vibration. It was just. I mean, I've never had a psychedelic experience. I assume that it was something that's close
0: enough to some kinds. Did you retain a sense of your own identity in this experience or oh, were you fused with the environment? Well,
1: it was. it was like as I was going down the layers of my psyche, my sense of self kept changing. And as I said, I started with this view that my inner self was dark, devious, dirty and full of demons and to be avoided. As I went down these layers being led by music and meditation, I found that that was hog shit, if you'll excuse the expression, that inside was like going into an Aladdin's cave. There were treasures, there were gifts, there were there was potential I never knew. And as I said at the bottom, or you, you raised it, at the bottom there was this very old Chinese man who looked like he was about 800 and he had this amazing yellow cloak and he took it off and gave it to me as a gift and said you're a shaman now as I went back the layers of my psyche I couldn't take this coat cloak of course into the real world I had to leave it at the top level but it's there you and left I, it at the
0: top the top level so the top level mean, of my you, psyche right you mean the deepest or do you mean just when you were exiting the state no.
1: we started at the top of a mountain we went down, down 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 and this was right at the bottom and, and you then brought we it went, up to the top then we went up and right at the top of the mountain when i came back into the real world i had to leave the cloak but it was there as a, a transformative thing that i can put on at any time
0: So there's a lot of beautiful things down there, but there's also a lot of darkness.
1: No. Less, far less darkness than we have all been taught. And far more beauty, far more gifts, far
0: more jewels, far more potential. Well, there's untapped potential, no doubt. Uncapped diamonds, yes. (coughs) So you think then we can make sense of the very depths of us as being more good than they are dark? There does not need to be a balance. Yeah, ninety percent, ten percent. Wow, that's that's interesting. I don't think I agree with that. I mean, how how can that be the case?
1: Because that's what I've experienced.
0: So in so in was this in one experience or were there multiple experiences? That's
1: ten years of experience.
0: Ten years of experience of in the encounter having initially a stage of more shadow like contents, so moving through darkness, and then there's just the more bountiful treasure to be found within well
1: i can hear you're leading me but i have to say those experiences time and time again were never of darkness were never of demons they were the opposite and the the transformative thing was like you imagine aladdin the story of aladdin a poor impoverished boy that finds these thieves have been stealing and sticking all this treasure inside a cave and he learns that by saying open sesame the cave opens and he goes in he doesn't find any demons he doesn't find any uglies he just finds the most extraordinary treasures and riches and depth and wonder and joy and beauty and aladdin was transformed neville christie when he went inside when i went inside myself I did not find what I was taught would be there. I didn't. I found a landscape. Now, you may be different, I don't know, but the message for me is that we are more wondrous, more amazing, more fantastic than we have been taught.
0: Well, I don't want to put put myself on the side of someone who's trying to teach someone that thing. What thing? That we're not wondrous. I definitely don't want to take that perspective but
1: look I'm you asked me about my shamanic experiences absolutely. I can only share with what I experience whether that's universal I don't know well no I mean of course I'd love it to be I would love that all of us here find that we are wondrous joyous fantastic incredible beautiful amazing creatures and that we fulfilled that potential and we grabbed all those jewels
0: Look, so I don't think we can divorce what you experienced in your particular shamanic journeys from every other thing you've done in your life and what you're aiming at, what you were aiming at then, how you conducted yourself, how you conducted yourself in that exploration itself, what your intentions were, what you wanted to achieve in the world, broadly speaking, the responsibility you took for working for the better of things. You know, if you... So, I mean, so what I'm interested in doing is learning what's most helpful in preparing for any sort of exploration, whether out into the actual world or or within, because intention is important and the congruence between what you want to do in the world and how you treat yourself in your experience is crucial. Yes. So... Look, it doesn't make sense to me at all that the universe, broadly speaking, can be more good than it is bad. I think we are faced with this situation of essentially more or less immutable flux, continual harmony, balance, and we play out that capacity in ourselves, and we have the capacity to choose our way to some significant but limited degree within the, f- the 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 framework of our lives and given the interconnected and ridiculously long lineage of our entire evolutionary history and so i guess uh, i guess uh, i i guess i just do i i do have a i do have a concern when it comes to discussing any sort of transformative experience without without commenting on the profound and very dangerous kind of, of, uh, of, of darkness you can encounter because if you're not properly equipped, you can do yourself lasting damage. And I'm not trying to create some sort of oppositional relationship here where I'm saying you're saying that that's not gonna happen. I, I, I know you're talking about your own experiences, but perhaps then I might ask, what do you think it is about how you've lived your life, how you approach those experiences that enabled you to find such treasure within when there is treasure within and then we look at many, many, many examples throughout our entire history of human beings with the same innate potential as every single person sitting in this room that have committed the most foul acts of atrocity and darkness and malevolence you could ever imagine. In order for us to understand and connect with other human beings, we have to recognize that potential in us to be that.
1: Yes, but, but this is about a choice. I said, I think, quite clearly for me this notion of purpose is is not something that a God or our parents or whatever give us, except for the two mountains about a spiritual belief system and the biological imperative to procreate. They are givens. Everything else is a choice. And I put it to you like this. Life and human beings go over. Can nation.
0: I can I can I stop you? I'm so sorry. Can I stop you one second? This this desire to procreate, this desire to to require the the transcendent I mean it's it's precisely on in these areas that many, many people I mean people reject these, right? People many people today are anti natalist. Many people today deny the transcendent, deny God.
1: And they face a consequence of that. I'm yes. not saying that you have to get married and have children. I'm just saying that you have to create the equivalent of children to find meaning in this life. I agree with you. And, and if but you why don't, Why don't people? Because they make a choice and because they're misled. Look, we know that human beings are full of the ability to commit the most ghastly atrocities. We only have to look what's happened in Syria, what happened with the boat people, look at what the Nazis did, look what happened in Cambodia. I mean, look what's happening in Burma, in, even in China, to some extent. We, we are capable, as human beings, of the most incredible, awful unbelievable, godforsaken atrocities. We're also capable of the most divine, amazing, wondrous things. Now, I think we have a choice which universe we live in. Yes. That's what I'm saying. It's a choice. I can choose to follow the darkness. I can choose to be a rotten human being. I can choose... To do dirt on other human beings, I can choose to beat up my wife.
0: Right, that's a choice. No, I, I know, I know. So, uh, I, but sorry, well, what is the better
1: choice to go that way, or to go this way?
0: Well, I think I think everyone—I mean, almost everyone—would agree with that. I, I guess the problem is, is that people don't. A lot of people don't feel like they can. Of course, they, they don't. F-
1: but we do. We have a choice.
0: So, I'm interested in what it is that people lose connection to. In a precognitive way...
1: I have no idea. I cannot tell you.
0: Well, All... I mean, but that's, that's why understanding the process of engaging with the shamanic journey, I think, is so interesting because the way to orient in that space is not intellectually. So the question is, when you are in that place of darkness and you're moving down the mountain, and, to use your own metaphor, yes. how do you hold that space and move into it with the right intention, right?
1: You make the choice. Do you follow the darkness or do you follow the light? Do you follow the negative energy or do you follow the positive energy? And every single one of us are faced with that every day. Do I choose today to grow, to be better, to add kindness to the world, to make the world better? Do I choose just to stand still Or do I choose to go backwards and embrace negativity, you know, things that are not so good? That's the choice you and I, every one of us, are presented with every single moment of our lives.
0: Yes, I mean, I I agree. There's there's things that complicate this process, though. One of of them is immense fear.
1: But I can choose to give in to fear, you know, I can choose to be annihilated when my son kills himself and be overwhelmed by existential guilt, you know. Why wasn't I a good enough parent and father to stop this suicide? What, I could choose to do that.
0: Look, I, I, I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I, I guess I'm trying to get to a place and, and use language that, sorry look
1: i think the issue today is that many of us do not want to make life happen we want to let it happen and letting life happen i believe leads to the darkness the dark side
0: Mm, that's interesting so letting life happen i mean so we want to distinguish as against making it happen we want to distinguish two kinds of letting life happen there. One which would be the positive sense, which is paying attention to the experience in front of you, right? Being able to look and observe and pay attention before immediately reacting precisely. And then there's a letting things happen to you that has you go along with whatever the flow is, without you engaging that capacity to discern and have agency and enact agency on the basis of that discernment between quality. So, so I do want to talk about fear because I think fear is a thick veil at the moment in... Well, I think it has been of necessity throughout the entire course of human history because we have this very precious thing that we come innate with, which is this drive to live that I believe resides in a, a spiritual base, and by spiritual I mean something fundamental that we participate in, which on this view is something like consciousness. So consciousness is fundamental. That means our consciousness is of a kind with what is fundamental. The capacity to discern between qualities in our conscious experience is therefore related somehow to what's going on at a very fundamental level, our capacity to orient therefore in consciousness is involved in the creation of continued being, but we're very vulnerable and we are finite and growth and movement and change is all one at, and individuality and identity is all one at the price of death, the death of what is fixed at that moment, the death of what currently exists so I'm, we i'm getting lost okay well just let me i have to i have to continue and i'll bring it back eventually I, Right. so we'll pick up with fear we are finite yes. we have something precious to protect which is this drive to live and if we put it in some in the language you've introduced with your purpose we have here talking about this source of transcendence and the desire to procreate which is to involve in that process of maintaining the, that that spirit, that transcendence in your own language, because we die, so to participate in the continuation of something beyond ourselves, right, means to, so we are scared, because we die, and we are vulnerable, now, what in part enables us to maintain enough order in our psychological makeup, is our evolved history of culture, and our current social norms, and our current stories we tell ourselves and our current patterns of behavior that ground us presently in the world, but they're prone to not be adequate because things are always changing. And so when that's challenged in any way, it's terrifying because that is what buttresses you against collapse, against chaos, against negative potential, yes. right? So we have to confront the necessary suffering and fear, in reality, in our experience, born of the fact that we are finite and precious, and take ourselves to be precious. So the question is, how do you first find a moment with that in that overwhelming chaos, in that fear, in that, in that place of ultimate abandoned dissolution and the destruction of all your well-made plans? And, and so we've spoken about you find the ground how do you hold the fear to then look for the ground? Because people, like as soon as the fear comes, it's like, no, no, no fear. Okay, that's, that's too, I'm too afraid. I'm going to go with whatever I can latch onto. Some bollocks I could go into, but I'll just, I'll stop. Okay. I think you've opened up a
1: massive topic. So let me not spend too much time on it, but I'd like to change your model. If you go back to the nanothetal man, you know, when he was faced with dinosaurs, he had two options, both based on fear. The first was flight or fight. Now, those two cerebral cortex adrenal reactions of anything at all that we perceive to be threatening are built into every human being. They are fundamental to the animal aspects of us as human beings. Now, we can return to the animal or Neanderthal state of just simply fighting it, denying it, having a punch at it, or run away from it. But there are at least five other options. The first is to bunker down and wait till it goes away. And a lot of people are doing that that's a response. Another way is to be a chameleon and neither fight or flight, but adapt to the situation to become something else, to change the colour, you know, to find a a different, to be a, a chameleon. The next thing is in some way to adapt to it, like to take that and say consciously, what's going on here? What can I learn? What happened with my son? You know, fear, Depression, anxiety, a whole series of, of absolutely overwhelming negative emotions took over. But I found there was a rock to build from, and I was able to go back then to other alternatives to fight or flight. The the next response is innovate, change, a transformation. So we are not actually rational human beings. The notion that we are rational is bullshit. We know from imaging that virtually all data that comes to us from the external world goes to the central part of the brain, which is the uh, called the mammalian brain, the horse brain, where all the emotions lie. And it's mixed with all sorts of emotions, like fear, like anger, like positivity. When we, we face a negative emotion and we consciously using consciousness awareness we replace it with a different emotion you know i can do this this is overwhelming but i'll face it i'll learn from it as soon as we do that the fear goes away but we don't just have fight or flight as our responses
0: so before immediately responding we can pay attention and recognize other options yes Okay.
1: And the more we practice that, and the more we practice gratitude, the more options we discover.
0: Right. The link between gratitude and options would be very interesting. But we are at 9.30 now, and I'm conscious of people's time. We said we'd speak to about now. Maybe we'll just take five, five minutes or so and wrap up, and then I'm happy to have you know, any questions asked if, if anyone wants to, wants to ask a question to Neville um, or about what we've discussed. Was that hand at the back, Hassan? Okay, so the question was, how do you define a good community and what advice would you have for someone who wants to find a community?
1: Right. That's a beautiful question, Hassan. I, I guess the simple answer is start simply relating to everybody you meet. Some years ago, I used to go to a, I'm not a party animal, my wife used to be a Myers-Briggs person and she used to ask me generally, she'd say, I don't know whether you're an INFP or an ESTJ. And the answer is I'm both, but I've learned to be an extrovert, I'm really an introvert. And I would go to parties and I'd be overwhelmed by the community, the, all the people there. So what I would do would grab a, a plate of hors d'oeuvres or whatever and I would go round, and I would share the hors d'oeuvres and have a few words until I suddenly found someone that was simpatico, and I grabbed that person and talked with them all evening, you know, and we had a community of two. And I think at the essence, that's fundamentally what community is. Most people are lonely, I believe. Most people are waiting, except the extreme extroverts. Most people are waiting for the other person to communicate, to initiate conversation, to move the relationship from being transactional about buying and selling to something that has a bit of a T dimension, a bit of depth. And the way we build community is we take the initiative and we start that process of, of opening our soul to another human being and finding their soul and we do it one at a time I believe I, I can't answer that in any other way uh, so I'd nice. just like to add that the I... Syracuse Indians I think have a wonderful methodology they believe that the whole world in terms of us as human beings has seven, uh, eleven circles in the very inner soulmate circle they say that in our whole life we probably have a maximum of three to four to five real soulmates. We might only ever have one in our whole life. And then the next level is friends that, you know, are really close and whatever. And we keep going out to the 11th circle being friends we have yet to meet. And, and I think that that's what community is about. It's about 11 circles. And in the middle of it is three or four soulmates and that's things their people their relationships we build over a total
0: lifetime so i think the (coughs) essence of neville's answer there was showing up really as who you are when you meet other people yes and being vulnerable Uh, right precisely and and being and being vulnerable my
1: current wife gets annoyed because in the flat where we live in melbourne I talk to everybody, uh, you know. And she says, you can't ask the that And I said, well, I just have, you know. It's like you got to talk to people.
0: So in part, <laughs> part of that vulnerability means putting yourself out there, which means speaking in part. And that means if it's vulnerable, it's so true. What? So what?
1: I mean, what's the harm in being vulnerable?
0: No, I'm, of course. Well, I mean, there's plenty of harm, actually, in being vulnerable. I mean, that's what being vulnerable is right like you're putting yourself in danger now that's what life requires that's what growth requires it's what any real connection requires taking a risk yeah sure vulnerability now to build on the answer because this is obviously something that is quite important to me and deeply involved in everything we're doing here and moving forwards so i don't think it's in some sense that complicated i think it's showing up speaking truthfully and well actually the, the difficult part is I think is that you actually have to love yourself, right? You have to believe that you're worthy of love. And and it's a, in some sense it's a cliched way to to to, to cliched thing to say. But what I think that means is that the vulnerability you show is actually anchored in something that itself is in principle or could be good worthy
1: of love just on that as an evangelical i was taught over and over again that joy was jesus first others second and yourself last that is hog shit if you go back to what that great teacher taught he says love others as yourself not not others better different than we are or less than us but as ourselves and i think that's the whole basis of community to love others as ourselves not more not better not less not richer not poorer
0: but as us right so you have something to offer and you must believe that the other person has something to offer too right that there is that there is a dignity to the human spirit that there is a dignity to what we do in the world which is bare the reality of our finitude and suffering, and somehow find a way to move forward uh, for the better, right this is a ridiculous burden, and it's uh, it's a it's an incredible thing to achieve and I think being in that space and um, believing that not just with the mind but also with the body is necessary for the kind of community that I think is required to be able to platform these sorts of conversations that I think society needs today in Australia in these suburbs in the world there's much obviously that we haven't touched on and there's plenty that in the future I want to Tim could I could I offer a genuine thanks to the group
1: that for me it's I spend most of my life listening to other people and you know paying attention to them I would like to thank you very much for Tim for the <laughs> for his questions and I'd really like to thank you for the attentiveness and the consideration you've given to this 70-year-old 77-year-old man who's actually only 17 inside for spewing his guts so thank you thank you it's a gift you give me
0: Right, so that's almost uh, finished. Oh, you're you're done. Yeah, we're done. We're we're, done, so thank you very much.